in this world, you'll be let down. You'll be disappointed. There'll be those you thought was going to be tried and true that will prove to be anything but tried and true. Amen? But you can always count on Jesus. Amen. Amen. There is no other like the lowly Jesus. Thank God for Him. Amen. And it's probably not the message tonight, but... But boy, if you're looking for a faithful friend, I know one. Oh yeah. If you're looking for one that'll stick closer than a brother, I know one. If you're looking for one that'll never leave you, never forsake you, I know one. If you're looking for one that'll always be present, I know one. Amen. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, it's been good to be in God's house already tonight. Certainly could leave said it's been good to be around where the things of God have been magnified this evening, and I praise the Lord for that. Glad you're out on Monday night. Thank you for coming out on this President's Day, being a part of the meeting here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. Had a great day on the Lord's Day, and we're appreciative of everything that God did in our hearts and in our lives. And thank you for the good meals yesterday, um, Miss Tanya, lunch yesterday, and then the great meal after church last night. Enjoyed our time with the Burke family tonight as well. And we just say thank you so much from the depths of our heart. Luke chapter number 10 is my text tonight. Luke chapter number 10. I hope you'll turn there. Let me read a few verses of Scripture. And then the message tonight from the Word of God. I did leave some prayer cards in the foyer. I noticed somebody took some put them here as well. So depending on which way you exit the building, um, please pick up one of those prayer cards. Remember our family, when you pray, we'd be certainly... Grateful for that. Trust that you would uh, remember us and uh, in the ministry that the Lord has given us. Amen. Well, Luke chapter number 10, certainly going to be a familiar text tonight from the Scriptures, um, but I'm certain that's the direction that the Holy Spirit had put on our heart as we considered the service tonight. The Bible said, and I'm in verse number 25, and we'll read down about a dozen verses or so, but beginning here, In verse number 25, the Bible said, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question, by the way. Amen? Let me say that again, because some of you didn't get that. That's a good question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's an important question. He wanted to know... What would happen when he died? Mm-hmm. Amen? Do you know the New Testament's full of those extraordinary stories? Old Nicodemus said, uh, what must I do to be saved? What am I going to have to do to live forever? How do I know I'm right with God when this life is past? Well, anyway, the Bible said in verse 26, He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That's the problem. I think about this context, and the Bible said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor thy God with all thy heart, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said, 
in the 14th chapter of John, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so Jesus is reminding them that there is a necessity to keep the commandments. Don't get nervous. I'm not preaching a doctrine of works. I don't believe that. But this fellow realized in his own life that he would have to justify himself. You see, he had to justify himself because he knew he had come up short. And so he's looking for an out. He's looking for an excuse. And he asked the Lord the question, who is my neighbor? Because he realized that he's looking for some excuse as to why he has not fulfilled those commandments. Now, I'm not really dealing with that tonight, but I think it's an interesting twist. Jesus answering said unto him, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, there came down a certain priest that was, uh, uh, there, there came a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, and I'd like you to underline three words, the Bible said, as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the, to, to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, the Bible questions, thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Now, there's no question tonight, particularly when we pick up in verse number 30 traveling down through verse number 37, that that is to anyone that spent any length of time in the church house, being around the things of God, that certainly would be a familiar story. Now, I want us to take a look at that passage of Scripture tonight. And if I had a, if I had a thought on my mind that I'd like to deal with, this is the thought that comes to my mind. Somebody to care. Amen? He needed somebody to care. In fact, I've got a subtotal, a subtitle for my message. I don't always do that, but I wrote in my notes that somebody needed to wade through the waist high weeds. Amen. I just want you to keep that in mind for a little bit. Let's think about the story of what we often hear referred to as the story of the Good Samaritan. Can I point out tonight that as we examine this text that there are Probably more, but at least four characters uh, that the Bible identifies in these limited verses that I've read tonight. There's four particular characters that are spelled out for us. Let's think about them. Well, the first fellow that we find in the text is identified uh, 
In verse number 30, I want you to look at how the Bible labels him. And the Bible said, and Jesus answering said, a certain man. You'll find that expression very often in the Word of God where the Scriptures will refer to a certain individual. I'm reminded every time that I see that in the Scriptures that God deals with men. I think two times, too often the times that in the course of ministry, we get our minds on the masses and we think about the multitudes, and I'm for thinking about the multitudes, and I'm thinking about the masses, but we fail to be reminded that everything God does, that God does individually. Amen. And that He puts a focus, that He establishes a focal point on this certain man. I'm also reminded that this particular man, this certain individual, that he has a certain value. That God has taken time to separate him from the multitudes and the masses that are around him. He separated him and focused our attention on this certain man. Can I say to you tonight, church, that it helps us in ministry if we don't lose sight that God saves individuals. Now, you might have got saved at the same time that a dozen got saved. If I was preaching 50 years ago, we'd talk about a hundred getting saved. But we might talk about a dozen getting saved tonight. But you'd have to agree with me that though there may have been a 12 or 14 or 16 that got in the same night you got in, that the act of God's salvation... That was individual. It was personal. And that we need to think about the value that God puts on a certain man. Now, I want you to think about this individual's condition. There's two phrases that the Scripture uses to identify his circumstance. First of all, we are to take note of the lot of this individual. The Scripture said in Verse number 30, that this man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And then I want you to take notice with me that the Bible said that he failed among thieves. That's an important expression. Amen. Because God is reminding us that it was never his intention to get in the mess he was in. Amen. He didn't come down to a particular neighborhood and stand on the street corner with a wad of $100 bills in his hand inviting those lower sorts of men to attack him. The Bible said he failed among thieves. It was not his expectation. It was not his intent. But may I remind you that's how sin operates. Nobody sets out to be an alcoholic. Nobody sets out to be a dopehead. Nobody sets out to abandon their family. But these are the things that transpire when men fall among sin. I thought about the scripture used this expression. 
that he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A map will tell you that there's a 3,400 foot difference in elevation as a man journeys down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem is a spiritual center. Uh, while Jericho was a secular center, uh, uh, Jerusalem represents the things of God. Uh, uh, while Jericho represents the things of the world, the things of the flesh. Uh, and yet this individual uh, finds himself on a downward journey. Uh, he's headed down from spiritual truth uh, uh, to worldliness. He's leaving spiritual matters uh, and appealing to the things of the flesh. Uh, now you say, Brother Moore, why are you belaboring that point tonight? Because here's the reality. If you and I would be honest about it, all of us could look back at some particular place in our own past. And we too were like that, like that certain man that was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he never intended to get in the mess that he got in. We never intended to go as far as we went. We never never intended to stay as long as we stayed. We never intended to reap the destruction that was wrought. But we were that certain man that fell among thieves. And then I notice that the Bible continues by identifying his condition. The Scripture said in verse number 30 that they stripped him of his raiment and they wounded him and departed leaving him half dead. I've always thought that was an interesting expression. He is half dead. Amen. Boy, I think there's been some times in my own life when I thought I was half dead. When you think you're half dead, uh, when you feel half dead, you're feeling almost all the way dead. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, and so I come to the text tonight, uh, and the Bible said, first of all, they stripped him. Uh, may I remind you that sin uh, has a way of taking away things in our life. Uh, you see, the world pursues after a wretched lifestyle uh, because they're persuaded that it'll add to them, uh, that it'll provide something for them uh, that it'll satisfy them. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. The Bible said there's pleasure uh, in sin uh, but just for a season. Uh, and as this traveler goes down uh, from the city of God toward the world, uh, falling among thieves, uh, he finds that they take away his raiment. Uh, he's left naked. Uh, he's left exposed. If I could say it this way, sin has humiliated him. Sin has left him embarrassed. Sin has left him shamed. Sin has left him guilty. It's at this point in the message that some of us ought to remember where we were when Christ passed by our way. That for sin had humiliated us. Sin had left us high and dry. Sin 
sin had stripped away our dignity. That's where we were. Now, preacher, why are you dwelling on that? Because the only way we're going to be the person who cares about sinners is to be reminded of the circumstance that we found our own selves in. When the grace of God passed by our way. Is it not 1 Corinthians chapter number 6? I think it's verse number 9, but don't quote it unless you're looking up. Where God said, or Paul said, and of such were some of you. It's an awful list of wickedness that baffles the human imagination and brings us to a place where speaking of those things is almost unseemingly in public places. But that's where we were. We were no better off than that man was. That man had fallen among thieves. They stripped him. They took away everything, leaving him half dead. Not only did the Bible say they stripped him, that'd be desperate enough for the job. But the Bible goes on to say they wounded him. How about that, buddy? Sin has a way of leaving people hurting. And there he is outside the doors of Lighthouse Baptist Church and outside the doors of the place that you call your church. There is a multitude of men, women, boys, and girls. They've fallen among thieves. Their Lord has left them in a bad place. Sin has stripped them of their dignity. Sin has left them humiliated. Sin has left them embarrassed and guilty and shamed. And if that's not enough, see, it has left them with wounds. Oh, how those wounds are destroying the very life that they enjoy. They're bleeding tonight and they have nobody that cares about them. The psalmist said, I looked on my left hand and I looked on my right hand. And there was no man that cared for my soul. Oh, there's a certain individual that takes place or is identified in this passage of Scripture. He he is, if I could say, he's been stripped. He is, as I could say, been wounded. But then there's that phrase, he's half dead. He's helpless. He can no more crawl out of that ditch. Uh, he can no more make his way up to the highway. Uh, he can no more get himself up to some help, uh, uh, my friend, than anything you can imagine. Uh, oh, may I remind you, there's a multitude uh, of certain individuals. Uh, we like to lump them together. Yeah. That's where the dopeheads hang out. That's where the drunkards hang out. That's where the renegades and the rebels hang out. God separates them. God refers to them as individuals. Amen, Brother Kidman. I'd say, as you crisscross the countryside, dealing with those veterans and the military apparatus and the military lifestyle leads itself to an abominable wickedness. I mean by that, thank God for our soldiers. Y'all know better than that. Amen. I said amen right there. Thank God for somebody that protects us and 
enables our liberties. But the stress of that lifestyle and the, dis- the, 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 the separation or the distance from family and friends of that lifestyle, that leads men to get involved in things that they have no business getting involved in. That's why you run into the guy that's a veteran with a signboard hung around his neck on a three-day drunk standing on the side of the interstate. It's not that he was a quote-unquote bad man, but he got into a bad situation, and he behaved in a bad fashion, and he did some bad things, and now he's in a mess. He's that certain man, and here's the reality. There is no such thing as picking yourself up by your own shoe latches. There is no such thing as making your own start. And it makes no sense to look at them and say, you've got yourself in that mess. You've got to get yourself out. That's not biblical. But there is in our text a helpless man laying half dead, stripped of his garments, bleeding and dying on the side of the road that needs somebody to reach out a hand and help him. He needs somebody to care. Amen. Then I want you to see number two, not only does our text identify a certain man, but then we see that there's the picture of the complacent man. Verse number 31 said, by chance. I think that's an interesting expression because it takes out the will of God. Amen. There's no intent. He didn't come that way with any expectation of helping anybody. And some of you Bible scholars can help me. Y'all can help me after the service tonight because I'm wondering why that priest was heading in the same direction the sinner was. Somebody help me right there. Amen? I don't know. I'm just throwing that out. Y'all chew on that wild. Let me know. Amen? But he's going down. He's leaving holy things, headed for worldly things. And the Scripture said he by chance... That's Bible. The Bible said by chance that there came down a certain priest that way. And notice what the Bible said. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. I heard B.G. Buchanan, pastor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I heard him make this statement about this fella. He said he had perfect indifference. Boy, what a phrase. Perfect indifference. Now, 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 bear with me a minute, but here's what I see in that priest. I see somebody didn't really give a flip. Amen. I'm in the South. Y'all ought to understand that. He didn't care. Somebody say amen right there. He had no interest in helping. He never investigated the possibilities. He never talked about the opportunities. He simply saw that man laying. He did not go take his pulse. He did not see if he was still muttering some words. He did not listen to see if he was breathing or crying out for help. He just passed by on the other side. And I want to say to you with all love, 
I mean all love. I don't want you throwing things at me tonight. But our churches, our fundamental independent Bible-believing Baptist churches are filled to the brim with individuals that are absolutely complacent. They have a perfect indifference to a world that's dying in sin. No, sir, they didn't intend to come that place. They didn't mean to get to that place. But they got there. And they're in a mess. You and I ought to sing, had it not been for an old rugged cross, we'd have been in the same mess that they were in. Some of us were in the same mess that they were in. How dare us be complacent? I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, this priest was at the right place at the right time. Amen. Let me say that again. He was at the right place at the right time. The Bible has told us what that priest may not have known. And that is that this this victim, this sinner I'm going to refer to, and this certain man that's laying in the ditch in the waste high weeds, that man, he is still breathing. He's only half dead, if I could say it that way. He can't help himself. He can't get to somebody that can do something for him. And to be honest about it, if somebody doesn't do something, he's going to die. There's not a hope in this world. He's simply going to die. He's not going to make it. And God somehow, some way, by chance, allows this priest to be in the right place at the right time. Amen. Now let me go a little further and make a supposition. He's a priest. Now, I want to take him out and horse whip him after I preach this. Amen. And if I preach it right, y'all ought to want to whoop him too. Somebody say amen. He's not a Roman Catholic priest. He's not the bearer of false religion. But when Christ gives this illustration, he is the bearer of light. He is the keeper of truth. He's a Jewish priest. He is what the world knows to be right. Amen. So he's at the right place at the right time. And he has the right message. Amen. He has the right message. Now you and I, this side of eternity will never know if Christ intended this illustration to be about a Jew or not, but considering the fact that he came down from Jerusalem and he's headed to Jericho and the Scriptures will make much about the identity of his Savior, the Samaritan, I'm persuaded that he was a Jew. So wait a minute. This priest passes by on the other side, although he's at the right place. It's at the right time. He has the right message. And this fella is in need right now. And it doesn't matter what his identity is, but just suppose with me he is a Jew. He's the very one that that priest 
is supposed to be serving in the first place. And yet he saw the need. I'm staggered by the fact that the Scriptures say implicitly that he saw this man. He couldn't walk a little bit further and say, I didn't know he was laying there. Oh no, he said, I saw him. He saw him. And instead of getting involved in the situation, uh, he did what a lot of Baptist folks do. Uh, he passed by on uh, the other side. Uh, I mean, no disrespect, but he had to go out of his way not to do what was right. Amen. He didn't want to hear him. He didn't want to know how bad off he was. He didn't want to know if there was any life left in him. He just went by. He got out of his way. He went out of his way so that he wouldn't have to help him. There's a different story, and I shouldn't get ahead of the text, but there's a different story in the fourth chapter of the book of John. When Jesus was headed in a certain direction, and the Bible said he must needs go uh, through some area. Uh, that didn't mean that was the direction that he was planning to go. That means that was the out-of-the-way pathway that he chose to go. Uh, amen. Uh, I sure am glad that there was a day in my life uh, when somebody didn't go out of their way not to reach me, but they went out of their way to reach me. Amen. Uh, so here's a complaint. Man, he passes by on the other side. I'm saying to you, we are like shipmen. We are like we we are like dock workers standing on a dock and watching a ship go down, knowing we could help them and refusing to do so. We've got the right message. We've been placed here at the right time, but we must not be complacent in the generation. Now, let's look at the third man. The Bible said in the continuation of the story, verse number 32, likewise a Levite. Now, the Levite status puts us in mind. One Bible scholar said this, that a Levite is simply a priest in training. Now, he's a little different. I guess if you could put it this way, the, the, the monotony of ministry hadn't rubbed off on him yet. He hadn't received enough counsel about the ones you can't help yet. And so the Bible gives us a little different picture of this third character in the text. The Bible said in verse 32, likewise a Levite, when he was at the place. Now notice the next expression. He came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So we saw a certain man. He's fallen among thieves, laying in the ditch in the waste high weeds. We saw a complacent man. He wasn't even interested in seeing if there was something he could do. And he made an effort to get out of the way so that he wouldn't even come close to being in contact with that sinner. How many of us make efforts to go out of our way to avoid sinners? 
Come on now, say amen. Now, but this fella, this Levite, he's a little different. Let's call him a curious man. Now, he He's like the squirrel. Amen. Curiosity will take care of him, won't it? Amen. And he comes down to the same place. He's obviously in a perspective on the highway that he can see that man laying in the side of the road or on the side of the road in the edge of the weeds. Amen. He can see him. And that, that priest saw him, uh, uh, but he was experienced at avoiding sinners. Uh, and so he passed by on the other side. Uh, uh, but then that other fellow comes, that Levite comes, uh, and he also sees him. Uh, but then the Bible said he came to where he was. Uh, and ex- look at this expression. The Bible said he looked on him. He looked on him. Now that's a strong expression. But that word looked in this context brings to mind the image of somebody that's willing to figure out what can be done. It's an analytical position. Amen. He studied the situation. Now, I'm not sure what he saw when he got down there, Brother John. It's not for me. I can hypothesize. I can take an educated guess. He comes over there close enough. Now, I recognize that if this body's dead, these priests are being very particular not to touch it. Amen. Because there's a defilement. That comes from touching that dead corpse. And they don't want to touch it, but buddy, you don't have to touch a dead body to see if you can help it. Right. Yeah. Amen. And, and that priest doesn't even want to get close. He's going to go over here on this side. He doesn't have time. He doesn't care. He's complacent. He, he really has no interest whatsoever. But that Levite comes by. He's just in training. He hasn't got as hard as everybody else has. And he comes over to the very place where this fella is, and he's standing there, staring at him, looking at him. I can't help but to wonder if he hears him. Come on. Amen. They might not be able to say any words anymore. Might not be able to. He might just not be able to say, help. Might not be able to get those words out anymore. But there might be a low groan coming from him. There might be a low moan coming out of his limbs. And I can't help but to wonder if that priest didn't stand, that Levite rather, didn't stand there and stare at him and hear him. Did he watch for a hand maybe that just had a little movement? Did he move a finger? Was there a little bit of a twist or a turn? Was there any indication that there was life in that fellow that was laying in the ditch? He looked at him. He thought, man, I could help. Him. He tried to figure out what he might be able to do for him. I believe we got a lot of Baptists that meet that criteria. We've got it all figured out at the church house. We know how they can get saved. We know how their lives can be changed. We even testify of such were some of us. But we seem to forget all of that when we walk out of these doors, when we're in the community and we're in the neighborhood. It's a whole lot easier. Easier to pass by on the other side. You know what I see in our churches tonight? I see a whole lot of curiosity. 
Amen. They just get curious about serving God. They get curious about living for God. They get curious about selling out for God. Say amen right there. Now I realize I'm not in that part of the message where everybody jumps up and hollers hallelujah. I realize that. It wouldn't hurt us to take a good hard look at ourselves. How dare us? Listen to me. I'm all for the shout. Somebody said, Brother Moore, shout at the drop of a hat. I told them they'd hand me their hat. I'd drop it and shout on it. Amen. And I don't run much anymore. But it's a personal thing. Amen. If y'all find me running, call 911. Amen. Just thought I'd throw that out. But I'm saying to you, uh, I'm saying to you that we come to the house of God, uh, we shout the victory, we rejoice in the fact uh, that Jesus saves all sinners. Uh, I promise you we could put Brother Dent and his family up tonight, or my wife, or these young ladies, uh, and that they could flip over and pull that old McCamey song. They could start singing a drunk on the street, uh, or rich in the palace, uh, and that we'd get excited because we know that the life-changing power that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has. But i got to tell you, it's good to rejoice with the guy at the other end of your pew because he's been there too. But where the help is needed is in the back alley up here in America, over in the outskirts of the parking lot, down at the Walmart, up on the bad street in town that everybody's told not to go to. Because somebody's done fell among thieves. Somebody's done been stripped of their dignity. Somebody's done been left wounded and dying. But what we got still gets the job done. Let us not just be curious about how Christ can change lives. But let us reach them with the glories of the gospel of Christ. Curious? Are you curious? I, I run into a lot of curious folks. I, y'all know a little bit, some of you at least know a little bit about our ministry. And we have camp ministries and we have mission trips and we travel the world and out west and we work with teenagers and young folks and about anybody else that will come along and want to have part in something. Amen. We've been doing a long time. I, I took Brother Burke on a mission trip to build a set of bathrooms on the backside of a church a long time before he and Miss Lori ever got married. Brother Tim tried my, he tried his best, talked to me on the airplane. Coming back. I mean, we're sitting on the airplane. Brother Tim, his daddy-in-law, Miss Lloyd's daddy, said, I'll pay you some money if you'll leave him. That didn't, I didn't make that up. That really happened. Amen. I'm sitting with him and his daddy-in-law's telling me that. Amen. What I'm a saying, a future daddy-in-law, wouldn't at the time. What I'm a saying to you, what I'm a saying to you tonight is uh, that I see a lot of curious folk. Uh, they're curious about getting engaged in ministry. They're curious about getting involved in the work of the church. Uh, let me throw out a couple. Uh, there's probably some folks in here who's been curious about what they do in Sunday school. <laughs> Amen. Why don't you show up at 10 o'clock on Sunday and find out. Amen. And and there's folks that get curious about visitation. Why don't you try going? There's folks that are curious about buses and mans and ministry to reach others. Why don't you try it? Preacher said, why don't you fill your car up and bring them to the house of God? Amen. There's
there's folks that get curious about using their talents to sing or play an instrument. There's folks that get curious about missions, about giving, about going. Now, don't get mad at me, amen. There's folks that get curious about tithing. Amen. Right in the middle of a everybody needs to go get a sinner message. The old evangelist reached right in there and pulled out tithing. Amen. Well, I'm just going to tell you that's one of the first graces of the Christian walk. And until you get your giving right, amen, I said, until you get your giving right, amen, until you get your giving right, your heart's not going to be right. Amen. And that tithe is important. Those free will offerings are important. Faithfulness to the house of God is important. Giving out gospel tracts is important. Being a soul winner is important. We need not just be a curious Levite. Amen. We ought to be involved in the business at hand. Amen. Now, I told you there's four characters. So the first man is a certain man. He's fallen among the thieves and been left stripped and wounded and half dead. Then there's a complacent man, the priest, that doesn't even want to get close enough to know if he could have helped. He just passes by on the other side. Sinners are a disturbance to him. They're an interference. Amen. Now, then there is a curious man. Now, and he gets close enough to hear him. Now, he gets close enough to listen to him. Now, he gets close enough to look on him, trying to figure out if there's something he can do. But ultimately, he doesn't act upon that curiosity. And he passes by on the other side. Now, but then there's there's a fourth man in our text. Look at the Bible. The Bible said in verse number 33, he said, But a certain Samaritan. Now, we've been given three certains and a not so certain. Amen. The Bible said in verse number 30, there's a certain man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Verse number 31, there's a certain priest. He's leadership. He's established. Amen. Are you listening? Amen. Now that Levite doesn't get the classification because he's just general. He's just part of the masses. Amen. He's the curious man. But then I want you to read this fast one. The Bible said in verse number 33, And a certain Samaritan. Hallelujah. Notice what the Bible said about him. As he... Journeyed. Every time I read that, I want to stop, run out in the front yard, and know, Woo! Hallelujah. Now, you see, those other three, including the wounded man, the priest, and the Levite, were all headed in a direction that took them from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other words, even if we don't consider the downward track that they are traveling, they have a destination in mind. They have an origin and a destination. They're leaving point A, and they're going to point B. Somebody say amen. But when I come down to this last fellow, this fourth character, I call him our compassionate man. The Bible just said, as he journeyed. There's a different tone. There's a different flavor to this individual. He doesn't seem to be on a particular trip from Jerusalem to Jericho or from Jericho to Jerusalem. It seems to me he might just be wandering around in that particular neck of the woods because he's known where there's men that get left wounded. 
and dying. Amen? Now you say, now Brother Moore, I think you might be stretching that a little far. I might be. But let me offer some evidence. Number one, the Bible tells us that he was carrying wine and oil. Now, wine and oil were costly, first of all, but they're also not necessary for a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho or from Jericho to Jerusalem. These are not for cooking purposes. They are for medicinal purposes. They are a first aid kit. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, when my family travels, we are constantly reminded of our limited capacity in space. And so I have to say, and my wife does good. I'm not picking on her. She's here, so I can't really preach what I know. I'm just teasing. But I have to say, she does pretty good. But there are times we have, as we're getting our goods together to go on that two-week, three-week, four-week trip, and we're traveling out the door to be gone in those series of meetings or camps or whatever we're going to, I ask the question, is that necessary? Do we have to have that? Amen. Is that just a luxury or a requirement? Somebody help me now. Don't leave me out on this limb by myself. She's looking at me back there. I need some help. Amen. And uh, and so we have to come to an agreement that there's no more space. And so if you feel like that's a necessity, if that bag has to go, then something has to be left behind. Amen. Uh, we've not reached it yet, but she's threatened a couple times that that could be me. I could be what was left behind. Amen. It's a matter of necessity. It's a matter of requirement. And if you're riding on a beast and you're traveling from point A to point B, the last thing you're going to pack will be your oil and your wine. But he had it. Amen. He had it. So the Bible said he's in a position where he's just journeying. It looks like he's kind of familiar with the area. And the Bible said, the Bible said when he saw him, he came where he was. Now look at the way it's worded. I want you to get this because I believe the Bible means something when it says it a certain way. Verse 31, we're talking about our priest. Uh, the Bible said he came that way and he saw him. Verse number 32, the Bible said that Levi was at the place and then he came and looked on him. Uh, but look at verse number 33. The Bible puts it in a backwards order. He said a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. And when he saw him, those other guys saw him and came if they were going to come. But this guy came to where he was, and then the Bible said he saw him. Now, do you understand? You say, preacher, you're just splitting hairs. No, no, I'm not splitting hairs. That Levite wasn't looking for nobody to help. That priest wasn't looking or expecting anybody to be in the ditch. But I just see a Samaritan with a first aid kit that's journeying back and forth. And he said, I remember this place. He said, been three or four times I pulled one out over here. Been a few times when I found one hanging on to life. And he kept a looking. And he came over there. And those waist high weeds, you couldn't see much. You couldn't tell much about what was going on. He's riding on that. That beast and he's a looking at he's a looking and he's a listening he'll pat that beast by the side of the chest and he'll say Shh, I'm a listening 
I'm a listening. What's he hoping? He can hear a little groan. He can hear a little call for help. He's got that first aid kit ready. And he keeps on coming. He gets in this general area where that high grass is. And about the time he gets there, he might have saw a little trickle of blood like a good deer hunter would tracking his doe or tracking his buck. He see that little trickle of blood, see a few broken blades of grass. Gets over real close. Hallelujah. He saw him. Amen. He saw him. And so he journeys in that area. He's carrying oil and wine. How about this? He had a credit line at the local inn. Amen. Said he got down there and took him, gave him two pence, and said, if you spend anything else, when I come back, I'll be journeying over here in another day or two again. When I come back, I'll settle up and pay you whatever you've spent otherwise. I'm telling you, this man, this compassionate man cared. I don't know. Y'all speculate. He might have once been robbed. He might once have been left half dead. Somebody might have come by his way. He didn't check ID cards. He wasn't interested in nationalities. He's just interested in somebody that needed some help. Amen. Woo! God help us just to go looking for somebody that needs some help. Amen. Now, let me see if I can preach this. Amen. So I see he had a routine. He was all about rescuing. And he had results. Amen. Notice what the Scripture said. First of all, I'd point out he's a despised man. Amen. It seems to me, and you fellas feel correct me if you wish, But since we've talked about a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, we suspect he's a Jew, and then we've been shown a a priest and a Levite, I would venture to say that we're in Jewish territory. Amen? I think I'm pretty safe in saying that. But the Bible so desperately or so deliberately shows us the identity of this individual in verse number 33. He said he's a Samaritan. (laughs) Amen. Now, I don't need to give you a history lesson, but it's important for the text. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. They were part of an effort to mess up the bloodline generations ago. They'd been rejected, and it was once said that if as much as the shadow of a Samaritan fell on a Jew, he had to go home and take a bath. Now, it was a two-way street. If you don't believe me, read John chapter 4. That Samaritan woman hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. Amen. But I just want to point out that the compassionate man, the man who was going to help him, was a despised man. Amen. Now, of course, we could liken that to Christ. He was despised and rejected of men. i got to tell you something. If you and I are busy about the business of rescuing sinners, we'll be despised. They're not going to give you the keys to the city. They're not going to pat you on the back. They're not going to thank you for your efforts. The man that takes the gospel message to the lost in a dying world uh, is rejected by that world uh, uh, despised by that world uh, used by that world uh, and will be killed by that world if given opportunity to do so Uh amen he's a despised man Uh, it's not a place of popularity 
It's not a place that gets you points. Amen? It's not a place that owns you, earns you a whole lot of favor. Serving God, reaching lost folks is uh, for despise me. And then number two, I gotta say, he got dirty. Amen. I'd use the expression he was a dirty man, but then we get all kinds of bad thoughts in our minds. So I won't use that one. What I'll say is that he got dirty. Amen. The text seems to imply that he got off of his beast. And here's a man over in those waste high weeds, those big old grasses, those cutter Cutter grasses. I mean, they'll leave you bleeding. Amen. And here's a man that's been wounded. He's almost dead. He's bleeding or has been bleeding. He's clotted. They probably just rolled him over into the dirt. He's dirty. The environment's dirty. And when that fella gets down there to get him up, he's going to get dirty too. Say amen right there. I mean, his hands are going to get dirty. Hey, man, his boots are going to get dirty. His tie's probably going to get stained a little bit. Gets down off of his beast and gets down there in the grasses. And he has to reach down in in the sheer strength of his own arms. He has to lift that fellow up and help him up and pick him up. I'd say, thank God, he was a strong man. That's not in my notes. But I might shout on it anyway. Amen. He was a despised man, but he was a strong man. He is willing to get dirty. Now, if you want to keep the typology of Christ up... He which knew no sin became sin. He left the glory of a splendid world called heaven. Condescended to the lowest state of men. So he could hunger and thirst and have need. Why? Because you and I was laying in the high weeds and dying in our sins. And somebody had to come to where we were. And somebody had to rescue us. Thank God for somebody that's willing to get their hands dirty. Amen. There ain't no such thing as seeing the world saved from a distance. Amen. It's not a sterile environment. It's a wicked world. But he's a glorious Savior. Amen. Let me hurry. He's a despised man. He had to get his hands dirty. He was willing to donate. <laughs> Amen. Reached up there in his own bag and pulled out that oil and that wine. He had to make an investment. Watch this now. He had to make an investment in the life of somebody else. Amen. One thing I don't know, I'm not a great soul winner. I apologize for that. I'm ashamed of that. I wish I was a more of a soul winner. But I've learned something down through the years. Winning souls. Now, I believe God can save instantaneously. And I... I, I don't mean that the act of a man's conversion comes instantaneous. It does. But I simply imply by that that a man could come to the knowledge of Christ. He could face conviction, come to the knowledge of Christ and be saved instantly. But more often than not, it doesn't happen that way. Right, right. Amen. And you know how men get saved? People develop relationships with them. They befriend them. Amen. Get down and do a little resuscitation on them. Help them up out of the ditch. Amen. Let them lean on you for a little bit. Pour some oil and some wine in his wounds. Invest in them so they can get saved. Brother Willard Thomas was my pastor for a number of years in the 80s. And when Brother Willard, when Brother Willard came to what we knew as Harmony Street Baptist Church, it was called Southside Baptist Church in Gainesville. He didn't like that Southside term, so he changed the name of the church. 
But he said there was a woman came and, and joined the church and and uh, and she would always stand up in prayer time and say, pray for my husband, he's lost. Pray for my husband, he's lost. And Brother Willard said he talked to that lady after service and he said, sister, I'll come to your house and I'll visit with your husband. And she said, oh, no, preacher, don't come. Don't come. She said, my husband hates preachers and he hates preachers with a passion. And he always told me, you have a preacher come to our house, I'll kill him. They may put me in the penitentiary, but I'll leave him bleeding on the forge. He'll die. And he meant it. And she's afraid that he meant it. And uh, he's just that kind of old contrary soul. And so Brother Willard said he just couldn't stand the fact that he couldn't go witness to that fellow. He took the lady's counsel. There's wisdom in that. Say amen. But he's looking for some way to win him. And he said he talked to that lady and said, where's your husband work? And said, well, he works at the feed mill in uh, the middle of Gainesville now. And he said... Uh, What's his habit? What shift does he work? said he works day shifts. He goes in about 6.45 every morning, but he goes to the little cafeteria right there on Main Street. And he eats breakfast every morning. said he'll be in there by the time they open the door, about 5.30. He'll be there. He'll get in line. He'll get him a biscuit, a cup of coffee, and he'll eat breakfast before he goes and gets and clocks in at the meal. And Brother Willard said, all right. He said, so I got up, and he said, I put on some old dungarees and a flannel shirt and he said uh, I got up nice and early and I went downtown parked my car kind of out of the way and he said I was down there about a quarter to six and he said I picked him out right away he said I managed to get right in the in the line cafeteria line y'all know how that works he said I grabbed a tray and he was in front of me and what he ordered I ordered and he got a cup of coffee and I got a cup of coffee and he got a biscuit and I got a biscuit and he said he he got ahead of me and paid for his biscuit and he said he went down, those tables were kind of long, family stylish kind of tables, and he said he sat down at the end of one of those tables, and Brother Willard, you'd had to know him, his old lanky fella kind of walked like this. And old Brother Willard said, I just got my tray, and I lumbered over where he was, and I said, hey, is that seat taken? <laughs> he said, no, you know, and he said, they sat down, he said, we talked about the weather and how big his tomatoes were coming up in his garden, and he said, we visited a while, and he said, he said, I better go. I'm going to be late for work. And he said, well, I'll see you around. He said, yeah, I'll see you around. He said he waited a couple of days, and well, you know, went down there about 545, got in line, managed to go over and sit down with him again. He said, we did that for three weeks, four weeks. He said, two or three times a week. He said, I'd go over there and sit beside him, and we'd talk. And he said, I began to gain his confidence, and I gained his friendship. And he said that one day he looked up at me, and he said, you keep coming in here all the time. He said, we sure have enjoyed talking, Willard. He said, uh, "He said, uh, where do you work anyway? <laughs> Brother Willard said, well, I'm a pastor over at Southside Baptist Church. And he said, no, not you. You a pastor? He said, yeah, I'm a pastor. He said, he said, what you doing down here? And he said, making a friend with you. <laughs> he said, he just kept coming back and slowly. He said, how about coming over to the church? And he said, Willard, yeah, I know we don't talk to our preachers that way, but we ain't talking about somebody been raised in Sunday school. We're talking about somebody that's unsaved in the world, all right? And he said, Willard, 
He said, I wouldn't come for nobody else. But he said, you seem like a pretty good guy. He said, I think I will come. Well, you know, he came back two services. The Holy Ghost did his part. And Brother Weldon said, that old boy got saved, <laughs> turned his life around, and became a faithful deacon till the day he died at the Southside Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. Why? Because somebody was willing to pour in some oil and some wine. They're hurting. They need something. And we got what they need. we got to be the one that cares enough to get our hands dirty to befriend them, to reach out to them, and try to help them. It sure is oh, yes, Amen. He was willing to invest in him, put that oil and wine. He was willing to deny himself. Amen. You say, now, Brother Moore, how in the world are you going to get that? The Bible said he put that fellow on his own beast. Right, huh? Huh? Yeah. Instead of him riding, he let that old sinner ride. He said, I'll just put you up here on my beast. And he walked, amen. And I'm going to tell you what the world has to see in us is a denial of self. When it's more important to be Christ-like than it is to be popular, amen, than it is to be part of the crowd. we got to be like Jesus, amen. And sometimes we got to deny ourselves so that somebody else can get in. And then the Bible speaks about his discipleship. He, he, he cared for him. He, the Bible said, now look at this. He said, the Bible said in verse number 34, he went to him, he bound up his wounds, he poured in the oil and the wine, he set him on his own beast, he was willing to pay the price, he brought him to an end. But now get these next four words. And took, five words, excuse me, I can't count. And took care of him. Amen. Now, I've been preaching for the last however long. I've been preaching probably long enough. But I've been preaching for the last 45 minutes or so about we got to care for the sinners. we got to go to where they are. We can't be curious. We can't be complacent. we got to be compassionate. we got to care about those sinners. Amen. I believe that's an error and a fallacy of the New Testament church. But hang on a minute. If we've got failure number two, it's every once in a while when we do manage to pick one up out of the fire and rescue the person because he stumbled in somewhere. We neglect them. We fail to educate them. We never disciple them. We never see those wounds get healed up. Somebody help me right there. Amen. Hey, this fella got him down to the end and he didn't hire out his care. The Bible said he cared for him. Now, I know there's another picture in the Bible talks about that when it became necessary that he go get the next one that was wounded. He said to the innkeeper, you finish up what I'm doing. Amen. But there was a personal investment in his discipleship. And listen to me. We get people saved. But they're not immediately going to act like you have when you've been saved since you're seven. You say, why'd you pick that age? Because that's when I got saved. Amen. They're not immediately going to act like we do. They're not immediately going to dress like we do. They're not immediately going to talk like we do. Amen? Am I right? Because they got saved. We've got to invest in them. Personal discipleship. Where you take them by the hand and you lead them along in their Christian journey. 
until they get a little bit stronger. When they get stronger, the church can step in in the corporate environment of the church. That's what the end pictures. And they can take care of them while you go get another one. Amen. Listen, there's a discipleship. He cared about him. And he took care of him. And then I like this part. He gave him a promise. I'm coming back. Amen. Y'all figure out all the Jesus typology. But what about the soul winner typology? He said, I'm coming. I'm not going to leave you. Uh, You just got in. I'm glad you're going to heaven. But I'll still be there Sunday morning to pick you up so we can get to church. Amen. Let me buy you a McDonald's hamburger Sunday afternoon. I know times is hard. Let me get you a hamburger. And uh, by the way, church is at 6 tonight. I'll be by about a quarter to you. Amen. Do you have a Bible? Let me talk to the preacher. we got some extra Bibles. We'll get you a Bible. Do you know how to use it? No. Well, let me come by your house tomorrow and show you what the Old and New Testament is and how to look up a Scripture. And we'll get you started. We'll get you started over in the Gospel of John and let you read a little bit. Amen. Have you ever had a time of prayer? Well, not until I got saved at the altar. He said, well, why don't you let me show you? Let me come by and let's have prayer time together. Amen. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? There's got to be a taking care of. There's got to be a discipleship. There's got to be investing in the lives of others. That's what makes a difference. There's four men in the text. There's a certain man that's fallen among thieves. He didn't intend to, but he's been stripped, wounded, and died. Are you that man tonight? Are you that woman tonight? Well, I'd like to help you. I'd like to introduce you to the one that can make a difference in your life. Then there's a just an old complacent man. He doesn't care. He has no interest, no concern. I hope we don't have those in here tonight. But I'm going to be honest with you. It probably is not in the one that's been saved for a couple of years. It's probably in those of us that's been saved for a couple of decades. Because the condition of this world and the wickedness around us, if you've got any kind of godliness about you, make you sick at your stomach. And if you're not careful, it'll put up a wall. You'll become cold and complacent. Oh, God, help us tonight. Help this preacher tonight to break down that wall of complacency and see sinners that can have a Savior. And remember, He can do the same thing for them that He's done for us. Then there's that third man. He's curious, isn't he? You're curious. You're curious about how you could serve, what you could do, who you could tell. Stop being curious tonight. And get a game plan. Let's go tell somebody. Let's come down this altar tonight and bring a name. And pray that God will give you liberty and opportunity tomorrow or the next day to confront that individual about eternity. You say, preacher, I can't do that. Well, at least invite them to church. Amen. Uh, Give them a gospel track. Reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to ultimately determine we want to be that compassionate man. That caring man, the one that's willing to wade out in those high weeds, even if it cuts us. Even if we have to deny ourselves and get dirty in the process. And find an old sinner and whisper Jesus 
Amen. Just whisper Jesus. Can I say this and then I'm going to close. You'll find no greater joy in this world than being a soul winner and winning somebody to Christ. I have a young preacher, Brother David, you come over there. So I have a, well, he's not so young anymore. I'm going to have to quit saying that because I still talk about Brother Jamie and Miss Laura. has been that young little couple. There's that young Missy back there. I mean, I just keep naming those young folks. Amen. And they ain't so young no more, and I'm getting a lot older, Brother John, and I know. <laughs> but I had a young man, and at the time he was a young man. He's pastoring the church now and got teenagers of his own. He'd been preaching nine months, Brother David, and I was putting together a mission trip to the states of Wyoming and Montana. He was on fire for God. He'd just been called to preach. He's, oh, I guess he's 18 or 19 years of age. He was excited. And he said, Brother Moore, I want to go on that trip. And this was in the spring of the year. And I told him his name was Eric. And I said, Brother Eric, you can't. I said, you're welcome to go. But we done bought our airline tickets. I said, ain't no telling what it's going to cost you to go. We got them at a deal. And he said, I don't care what it costs. He said, I got a good job. He said, I'm, I, I believe God wants me to go. And honest, I think we paid $300 for tickets. He ended up paying about $800 for his ticket 20 years ago. We got on that big plane, went out. And we got to the first Indian reservation prior to Montana, Brother Jack. And that was the year they dedicated the radio, bro- the radio station. Had a great big service. We had Monday night, we had Tuesday night, and on Tuesday night we was going to be live on the radio. And I had two or three men. I had two senior pastors, two good pastors. And I wanted those pastors to preach the main service. And then in between them, I told Brother Eric, young preacher, nine months in the ministry, he had 15 minutes, Brother John. He was beside himself with excitement. That's what he came for. Let's just be honest about it. He wanted that 15 minutes in that pulpit preaching that message. I bet he'd studied... Six weeks getting ready to preach that 15-minute message, and I appreciate that. I'm not belittling that. Well, the first fellow got up to preach that night was a fellow named Todd Chatham. He still pastors a church not far from my house. <laughs> I still remember what John preached. John was, uh, well, Todd preached. Brother Todd was preaching out of the book of John about that woman at the well. He said the Lord was only concerned about one thing. She is thirsty. <laughs> was interested in. He didn't want to know her past. He just wanted her to know, if you're thirsty, I got water. And the good Holy Ghost moved in that service. The missionary is sitting up behind me. He slides over beside me and he said, Brother Moore, I don't know what you've got planned, but God wants us to give invitation now. Now. And my men only preached 30 minutes. They just preaching brief little messages. The other preacher was going to be David Nix. That would be a name some of you know. Brother David at that time was my pastor. Brother David slipped on the other side, and he said, Don't even think about calling on me to preach. <laughs> I started the invitation. Brother Todd gave the service to me. I started the invitation. Missionary handed me a piece of paper. I've never done this in my life, Brother David. But he handed me a piece of paper and had a phone number for the radio station. We're live on the radio. I'm, in, I'm giving invitation in the church, and I'm giving an invitation on the air. And I'd say, if you need Jesus, come forward and one of our soul winners will work with you and tell you how to meet Jesus. And if you're in the radio audience tonight, if you'll call this number, we'll be glad to deal with you. And Miss Vicky's on the phone dealing with people while we're giving the invitation. 
altars were absolutely full. We had some adults that had two sinners dealing with them at the same time. Such a move of God. I looked over on this side on the front row and there sat Eric. And he wouldn't deal with nobody in the altar. And I could tell his cheeks told a story. He was a little upset because he pretty well figured out after an hour and a half invitation he wasn't going to get his 15 minutes. I think things was beginning to wind down, but folks were still being dealt with, and the altars were still fairly full, and I didn't have anybody else that could take a Bible and show somebody I'd get saved. And this is a rare thing in a native community, but I looked up, and here come a little red-headed boy down the altar. He's probably 10 or 12. Red-headed Indian boys are just not normal. But he's a red-headed Indian boy, and he come down that altar, and he got down. Nobody got down beside him. Nobody could. There wasn't nobody to call. I'm on the radio, and I've got all these other things, and that, that's not an excuse. I'm just trying to balance everything. I just looked over at Eric, and I got his attention. He looked up at me, still a little upset, still a little sad. And I said, he needs Jesus. Won't you come to your Bible and come talk to him? They've been preaching nine months. Been saved probably about... At that point, about two and a half years, he grabbed his Bible. He looked a little scared, <laughs> and he slipped in beside that little boy. If I called him on my cell phone, and if he's not in church somewhere tonight, if I called him and got him on the phone, I'd say, what's that boy's name? He'd tell me just like that. I don't remember it, Brother David. I need to write it down somewhere, but I don't remember it. He'd tell me just like that, Brother G. He got down beside him. I watched him talk to him a little bit, get his Bible out, started showing him how to be saved. A little bit, that boy had big old tears dropping off his face, and Brother Eric had big old tears dropping off his. I saw him put his arm around him. Their heads were bowed. The prayers were made. And they got up. That boy's gleaming face told what I didn't need anybody else to tell them. He got it. He got saved. Well, Brother Eric's a bubbling. He's a weeping and a bubbling and a weeping and a bubbling. And the next morning, we had group devotions at breakfast. And he got up and he said he was supposed to do devotion that morning. He got to weep and he said, I'm so sorry. I want to tell God I'm sorry. I want to tell Brother Moore I'm sorry. I was mad at him last night. I didn't think I was going to get to preach. And he turned around and I sit mine and he said, Brother Moore. He said, I don't have to preach no more. I don't have to preach no more. He said, just tell me who I can win to Jesus. Something about soul winning, something about telling somebody how to get to the Savior. Makes all the difference. I was in Uganda back last spring. I'm sorry, I shouldn't tell another story, but I feel like I should. And uh, I preached on Jesus. What a wonderful name. Just a simple message. We was in the bush country, Kasambi, 225 folk under that open air tabernacle. That's preaching. I started giving the invitation, and we had good response. I think we had, I want to say, 22 saved that night. Then I done gave the service back over to the pastor, cause, the missionary, because I don't speak the language, and I prefer not to have the translator during the invitation if possible. And so I done give the service back over to the missionary, and he's giving the invitation, and folks are praying, and his translator's done praying with some, and the, the national pastor's praying with some, and I looked over on the side, and there was four young'uns, and that's probably 16, 15, there was a couple of them maybe a little bit younger, but there was four young'uns that got over here on this side, 
they looked as lost as a, as a ball in high weeds. But they looked so needy. I can't speak Lagundan. I'm looking at what to do. God hadn't given me the gift of tongues. And about that time, somebody got my attention. I think maybe it was Jacob Cthulhu. Uh, uh, Jacob Knowles. And Jacob said, he pointed at a lady in the back, and he said, she speaks English. And I said, see if she'll translate for me. She come down there. I got those four little old youngins. There was three boys and a girl. I got them up around that altar, and I got to take the Bible. Now, look, I preached a meeting. Hallelujah. I've been on a three-week mission trip. We had 30-plus folks saved. I got to take the Bible and take four little old youngins and walk them. You say what you want to. I walked them through the plan of God's salvation. I took them through the Scriptures and showed them the Savior. And one by one, those little old youngins got saved. You couldn't have made me happier if they let me speak to the president in Uganda. Amen. Oh, I just want to go looking for those that are lost in the waste highways. They're out there. Somebody's going to have to wait out there and get them. The only one that will do it will be the compassionate, caring one. The one that resembles his Savior. That's what I want to do. I want to be that man. Let's stand our feet. Altars are open. Maybe you just want to be that man. Maybe you want to be that woman. Maybe you want your life to make a difference. Maybe you just want to get somewhere. Care. Be the one to care. It does matter. Plenty in the altar if there's room for you. Why don't you come? Why don't you come tonight? See yourself in their face. See yourself in their face. Why don't you call somebody's name out tonight? Call somebody's name out.